The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You are inside the QB factory where our magical development does make dreams come true. I am your host, Michael Kiss. This is all, of course, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Joining me, as always, to talk quarterbacks around the world is QB1 in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Follow his work at Pat's Pulpit, You know, obviously here at BGN. He just did a spot for us on the Palpably Unfair podcast talking about Tua Tagovailoa replacing Ryan Fitzpatrick. So make sure you go subscribe to that. But here today, we're going to talk some Carson Wentz. We're going to talk some Daniel Jones. It's going to be exciting stuff. You're going to love it. Mark, how you doing, brother? Way to sell this one. I mean, look, we got to do what we can because... <laughs> Trying my ass off. <laughs> once that Monday night game ended the Dallas-Arizona one, which arguably ended midway through the second quarter... You saw the yeah. timeline start to look ahead to Thursday night, and it was just like misery. <laughs> I mean, the timeline's always misery to begin with, but man, people were like, "Do we even have to watch this one?" It's like, what else are you gonna watch? If you're tuning, if you're tuning into this, man, I- I'm sorry for the mess here in Philadelphia. It's not always like this, but try to enjoy the Thursday night game. I mean, the last time they played the the, the primetime yeah. game against the 49ers, it turned out being, I guess, a little more entertaining than Mostly it had because Nick Mullins <laughs> lost his mind. <laughs> Um, very true. <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, we start with a historical reference, and this is our third season of doing this show together, right? Because we started three mm-hmm. years ago, like midway through the season. Yeah. And we started working the historical references in pretty quickly. Initially, it was just, we need to fill some air, you know, because we can't talk about quarterbacks for 25 minutes without losing our minds. But it became a thing, and people have enjoyed it. And people have sent in historical references, which I always appreciate, but it shows that for the most part, while some people probably fast forward 10 minutes, which you should probably do something like that right now if that's where you are on these, some people do appreciate them. So it was great to see. And Michael, we got perhaps in the hmm. three-year run of this show, the best historical reference. It was sent in by a listener on Twitter. You could find him on Twitter. His screen name is Herb at Herbicidal, H-E-R-B-I-C-I-D-E-L. I have one for you history buffs. Call the Eagles offensive line the Maginot line. Appropriate? <laughs> yes. Yes. It is incredibly appropriate because for those of you that don't know about the Maginot line, this was a French fortification system built prior to World War II, after World War I, to sort of 
dissuade the Germans from invading France, and if they did decide to invade, to prevent such an invasion, stop it in its tracks, and allow supply runs and supporting troops to get to the French-German front. And this was a feat of military engineering. This was a fortification system that basically extended from the like Luxembourg-France border and say the northeast of France, all the way down to Strasbourg, down to Basel. It was an incredible system of fortifications. It ran like hundreds of miles. You had these huge, what they called grand fortresses that were these big forts, and they would have this like layered division below them underground with hospitals and rec rooms <laughs> and you know mess halls. And they even had like ammo supply rooms and they had underground railways connecting all of these so you could run ammo and troops from one to the other. It was a feat of engineering. There was a slight problem. Just a slight problem. Just, you, you, a scooch of a problem. And this was actually pointed out. An American army officer, Kenneth Nichols, visited it in 1939. He was blown away by this array of fortresses that spanned the basic French, Luxembourg, German border. But he's like, there's a little bit of a problem, say, to your left side. Because <laughs> where Belgium and France meet, there's really not much there. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, just hypothetically speaking, hypothetically, just just hear me out on this one. It's like the exhaust port on the Death Star. <laughs> yeah. It's like you've got this incredible system, but what happens if France comes, I mean, Germany comes through Belgium and Holland? What <laughs> yeah. are you going to do? And so they try to like beef that up in the next couple of years. But the main problem from the French perspective was this, you know, they can't really go into Belgium and build an extension of the Maginot Line in another country without their approval. And Belgium didn't want to do that. And if they did it on the French side, they're basically sacrificing Belgium. So they just sort of relied on the low country and the swamp. And they thought that the Germans probably wouldn't want to try to invade that way. And looking back, maybe they probably <laughs> should have done something because that is exactly what happened. They invaded through the low country. They violated neutrality laws and rolled in that way. And the French were completely outflanked to the point where the Maginot Line, when you look up sort of the Wikipedia entry on this, which is incredible, you know, it now stands for a metaphor for expensive efforts that offer a false sense of security. <laughs> and so the reason why Herbicidal thought that the Maginot Line was appropriate for the Eagles offensive line was because if you look at last week, you have a strong center in Jason Kelsey, strong fortified middle, and you're basically outflanked everywhere else. The Eagles' offensive line, and not only expensive. I mean, look at it. Lane Johnson's got a big contract. Brandon Brooks has a big contract. Jason Kelsey has has a good contract to him. Jason Peters ended up, you know, bilking them for more money in the offseason. Isaac Siamalu was on a, a cheap, affordable deal. But overall, they spent a lot of money and resources in that offensive line only to see them have Jack Driscoll start at right tackle. And then he goes down, and it's Brett Toth in at right tackle. And there's Nate Herbig and Matt Pryor, whatever amalgamation of guards you can imagine. You're just dropping <laughs> Madden-generated names I on don't. me. I That's swear what, to God you are. I'm pulling up our lads right now because I know at least one of those is a fake name. If you look at their depth chart, it's crazy thought from offseason to now. And the result is last game, Carson Wentz pressured on 51.1% of his dropbacks. That's the second most of the week six slate. They got annihilated and it got to the point where Carson Wentz was very aware that Baltimore was coming after him and he just had to start throwing up YOLO balls. And, you know, for two weeks in a row, 
Wentz has been the most aggressive quarterback per next-gen stats, the most aggressive quarterback in the league when throwing into tight windows, mostly because he knows he has to get rid of the doggone ball or he's going to get killed. So like with that all in mind, when you when you look back at Carson Wentz's performance, I, I know that YOLO ball thing like isn't sustainable, but like also doing it with his legs too, I think that can that can carry over. What did you think of his performance with all of that going wrong in front of him? I mean, when you pull – sometimes numbers do tell us story when you pull up his under pressure stats charted by pro football focus this week like you said he was pressured the most out of any passer 24 dropbacks where he was pressured okay six sacks both of those numbers led the league last week okay 18 passing attempts which was second most behind just joe flacco who took the worst sack in the history of football i will not debate that but he also threw for 105 yards under pressure yeah he also threw for two touchdowns under pressure. Yep. He had an adjusted completion percentage of 76.9, eighth best in the league last week. And you've got guys at the top like Lamar and Kyler and Tua that were pressured like once or twice. I mean, NFL passer rating of 100.5 when pressured. And for the first five weeks, his quarterback rating under pressure was 40.9. So it's a yeah. huge trend in the right huge direction. Huge trend in the right direction. I wrote about him this week at USA Today. I called him Sis- Sisyphus. He's basically right now put in the bowels of hell behind this offensive line that, again, has Madden-generated names. I will not debate this. And he's trying to roll that boulder up the hill no matter what. And it seems daunting. It seems impossible. But he's going to keep trying to do it. And this is the Carson Wentz we've been talking about for the years we've been doing this show. The guy that refuses to give up, the guy that refuses to die, the guy that refuses to quit. Are the YOLO balls sustainable? No. Matter of fact, our mutual friend Dan Hatman, I do a video each week for the Scouted Academy to preview the Thursday night game. When we were talking about what we were going to do for this, he wanted me to make up one of those YOLO ball throws. I'm like, that's not exactly sustainable, Dan. Like, I can't do a schematic breakdown of him, you know, throwing off his back foot on fourth and nine with two guys draped around his legs. But it is one heck of a heroic, epic poem. Mm. I mean, that's where we're at with Wentz right now. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, I do think national media has started to turn a little bit given what we saw from him last week, because they get down early. Baltimore knew that they had to throw. Baltimore just pinned their ears back and came after him, and he hung in there the entire game. I mean, it yeah. was like it was like pretty much the Carson Wentz emblematic performance of all time. I mean, think about the the three big throws that, that come to the top of my head. There's the YOLO ball to Travis Fulgham, who beats yep. out Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters in the air. <laughs> That's what I had that one on my bingo card when the year started. <laughs> and Fogum has played tremendous, don't get Incredible. me wrong, but look at the guys he's throwing to. This is a practice squad guy that that cleared waivers. It, like I, It's unbelievable that he's playing this well. But then you also have him throwing a touchdown to Jason Kroom. Who the heck is that guy? You've got him throwing up at the third or fourth down to to Dick Rod, Richard Rogers. Like that's not a receiving tight end. That's not the guy you're going to in a jump ball no. situation. It's crazy the guys that he's throwing to, and it's crazy that the the guys that are in front of him. And look, I have been plenty critical of 11 in the first few weeks of the season, and I think he deserved every bit of it. He was inaccurate, even when he was under pressure and or was kept clean. He was bad. But, you know, the past couple of weeks, like Pittsburgh doing what he did against two of the top defenses in the league, it, it's hard to really like be down on that. And not only that, like the, the big focus of this season was how do you fix 11? How do you get Wentz going again? And 
all Wentz had to do, as we kind of talked about, was kind of regress to the mean of what is average for him. And I think he's he's doing that. And he's kind of like, like you said, quieting the talk of how bad his early season it was and now starting to get it together. But when you project this forward, how sustainable is that? with these weapons but I mean with at least this week I mean you know you know the New York Giants they're not exactly a good football team what do you expect from Wentz this week do you expect more of the same I mean I, I think I, I I expect a better performance and not a performance that's so reliant on making things happen in YOLO situations okay, like yeah. I, I think this is going to be a week where you can have that proverbial get right type of game as an offense and look this is an offense that was close I mean you look at the early throw to Hightower, the throw to Miles Sanders in yes. the end zone. Like, like there were opportunities there to make plays in sort of your normal scripted situations. They just didn't connect on them. I think against this New York Giants team, this New York Giants defense, and let's not forget, as we're going to talk about in a minute, you might have some short fields to work with as well. Yeah, This is a get-right opportunity. And so I, I think I'm expected to see, you know, your typical like – 68% completion percentage, two touchdowns, no picks kind of game. Like I think that's what this week sets up to be. Short week, you know, you can't get a lot done on either side of the ball, so you roll out there with what you've got. I think this could be a really good week for the Eagles and good week for Carson Wentz. So we're going to talk about it when we flip sides of the ball. We're going to talk about Daniel Jones of the New York Giants and preview him. That's coming up next here on the QB Factory. And we are back here on the QB Factory, episode 14, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with QB1 in our hearts, in our minds. Mark, let's talk some sexy, sexy Daniel Jones, who is playing at an elite level, or the opposite of it. Uh, brother, you look at the stat line, it's not great. Three touchdowns, six interceptions, never want to have twice as many interceptions as you have touchdowns as a rule. Hashtag analysis, hashtag analytics. Uh, Daniel Jones, man, I, I was high on him. Kind of coming into the season, I didn't think this was going to be the season where he was going to thrive. I didn't have a lot of faith in Jason Garrett to really scheme him up. I thought Pat Shermer did a decent job with him. Uh, I don't know what Jason Garrett's doing with him, but right now, second-year guy is really, really struggling to get anything going and is really a turnover machine. What is going on with Daniel Jones right now? I think on a big-picture level, what's going on is that Daniel Jones is who he was at Duke University, and Jason Garrett hasn't quite yet figured out a way to make that work. I mean, Shermer figured it out though. Like he's a first read guy. If he's and if he's he got did the first, yeah, a tremendous job. Shermer did at getting that first read open. Right. Like we've talked about it offline. We've talked about it with Ben offline. Ben Solak. You know when we're running through for dance here and there, that Shermer did a great job at getting that first read open. And even there were times Jones wouldn't throw it, mm -hmm. but it was still open. Garrett hasn't quite figured out how to do that because I think right now what we're seeing from Jason Garrett, we're seeing his offense sort of evolve in a way that is a bit un unpredictable, un you know, something we didn't expect to see coming because we all expected Jason Garrett, more of a downfield guy, more of a Coriel guy, he's going to be vertical in the passing game. They keep running stick. And I mentioned this in the DM the other day. Jones can't figure it out. He cannot figure out how to run stick because he has made the same mistakes throwing that stick route to Evan Ingram this year that he was last year. He stares at it. He doesn't move his eyes off of it. He throws it late, and it's either picked or nearly picked. 
And Garrett can't quite figure out how to unlock different route concepts for getting that first read open for because let's come back to the number. Zero to one step drops when he was at Duke. 72% of the time, I think was the number from our friend Bryce. That was an overwhelmingly large amount, which mm. tells you he is a first read quarterback only. He has not changed in that sense. And so you have to find a way to get that first read open. They haven't done it yet. It's been a problem. And when that first read isn't there, he has vapor lock in the pocket, which leads you to the fumble situation, which he dealt with last year, which he's dealing with again this year. Until they figure out a way to sort of unlock that quarterback mind of his, they're going to continue to struggle. So how can they do that? And and it's weird because you, you look at this offense and it feels like they would be better if Saquon Barkley is in there. But if your entire offense falls apart because a running back got hurt, like the most oft-injured position yeah. in the league, you have a problem. What what can they do against the Eagles to get him going with the talent that they have available? I think what Jason Garrett needs to do is he needs to look around at what other teams are doing with young quarterbacks and steal from them. Mm. We've often thought in this media space and the quarterback evaluation space that you know if you're an offensive coordinator, you have to stop trying to fit square pegs into round holes. You have to stop taking these guys and trying to get them to run your offense. You have to craft their offense for them. You look at what Cincinnati is doing with Joe Burrow. Empty concepts, man beater to one side, zone beater to the other side. Joe, you don't have to tell me if it's cover three, cover two, cover four, cover six, cover one, seven, whatever, rip Liz. Man or zone, that's all you have to figure out. And you know where to go with the football. That's step one. Step two, and this is more on a micro level, look at what they're doing with Ben Roethlisberger right now in Pittsburgh. Yes. Because they, this week, did a great job with three-by-one alignments, bunch concept to one side of the field, go route backside with the other. Ben, if you like the matchup, throw the go. If you don't like the matchup, work the concept. So, Daniel Jones, you've got Darius Slayton by himself to run a go route. You've got Shepard and Ingram and everybody else to the other side to run a concept. If you like the matchup, throw the deep ball to Darius Slayton because he can give you that. If you don't, Work the concept to the bunch side. Mm. I think those are two ways that Jason Garrett can simplify this game for Daniel Jones, both from a mental perspective and an execution perspective, and give him some easier throws to make because I'll just throw a nine ball. Like, you could do that. I could do that. My cat can do that. My other cat can do that. Like, you could simplify this game for him. But Jason Garrett has seemed to this point unwilling to do that and you're seeing the offense struggle. What you wanted to see from Daniel Jones, in my opinion, was last year he had that 2.7 seconds time to throw per PFF. I really thought Daniel Jones could be an effective quarterback. If we, He did a lot of things that you talked about with Ben Roethlisberger. If you lowered that time to throw, he is at 2.77 this year. It's worse. He's holding yeah. on to the ball just a little bit longer. And you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger, and Eagles fans should know this, when we did our preview on the on the Kiss and Solak show, and, and me and you did it, 2.2 seconds time to throw, second fastest in the league. The ball is coming out of his hands. Super quick. And it's not like New York is this big play action offense. They're running it at one of the lower rates, you know, in the league, and that can lead to a higher time to throw. So there's no reason for any of that other than Daniel Jones not being able to process it and Jason Garrett not being able to scheme it up. Uh, Mark, any last thoughts on it's a little bit of an abbreviated show because we have a lot of uh, shows just being jam packed into this shortened week for the Eagles. But uh, I'll leave it to you. Any last thoughts, any predictions uh, for this game you want to throw out there? No, I mean, I do, I do think Philadelphia wins this game. Short week, that offense is struggling. I, I think this is a get-right opportunity. If I have jinxed the Eagles by saying that, I apologize. <laughs> um, 
I've had some bad takes this season. Nick Mullins obviously comes to mind. But no, I, I think this is a get-right opportunity. I'm confident the Eagles have a good game. I'm confident Wentz has a good game. As for Daniel Jones, sometimes offensive coordinators have to check the ego at the door. And I think this is the, kind of that moment for Jason Garrett. And for you members of the Giants front office and coaching staff that might be listening to this, because I know you do. <laughs> I've gotten the DMs. Yeah. Send that one up the food chain for me, okay? You yeah. guys will be better off. I mean, they, they're they going to have a big time problem trying to protect Daniel Jones in this one. Yeah. And if he holds on to it for anything more than 2.4 seconds, he's just going to yeah. get obliterated. I mean, they don't even know who they're starting at left tackle. Matt Parrott comes in for Andrew Thomas, the sixth overall selection. Good job, David Gettleman, on that one. So congratulations. You got yourself another first round gem. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <oof> size. <laughs> so that is going to do it. For the QB Factory, we appreciate you stopping by. If you like what we're doing here, leave a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. Leave a written review. Just say you're following directions. I don't care what you put in there, but go do it. It really helps out the feed. We appreciate you listening and subscribing to BGN, and we appreciate you joining us here for the QB Factory. Go dominate. Have yourselves a day. Yeah.